Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Line Podcast. We had a rad time at the end of season party last weekend. Uh, thanks to everyone that came out. It was really cool to meet fans of the show and guests and get a guided tour of some of the best trails at Swinley Forest. Um, it was a really good fun ride. There was a little crash, a bit of a mechanical. So what more, what more do you want? We had a bit of had some cupcakes after as well and the sun was out. So what more can you ask for? Uh, the ride got some really positive feedback actually. So we may look to hover and host another around Christmas, but I'll keep you posted on that to see how it pans out and see what the weather's doing too. So it gets pretty nice that time of year, doesn't it? Uh, but before we get stuck into today's show, we've got a listener question and this is quite an on-topic one, which is good which is how much is too much to pay for a bike um and without wanting to sound uh slopey shouldered like it depends because obviously if we start talking e-bikes the price point goes up naturally because of the technology and things but generally i'd say for like a cross-country mountain bike because that's the focus of the show around five to six thousand pounds for me personally um because i think once you get around that mark anything above that you start to get into the region of like diminishing returns because you're going to get a lot of top-notch kit which is great but you're going to want to still customize that bike so i generally tell people to buy the next model down and what they're looking at um looking at buying and then they have budget to say upgrade the wheels and they can say upgrade the cranks to the right length for them and things like that so yeah i normally say yeah five six k um, obviously that, that's still a hell of a lot of money for a bicycle but yeah you're gen i think above that point you'll start getting into real high performance stuff and there's also the thing to consider is the money better off investing in the rider um so coaching um nutrition whatever it may be things like that um or even just simply not working as much so say you buy a new bike and you're planning on doing i don't know an extra day's shift each week to pay for it over the next two years like you're better off getting a slightly cheaper bike and having an extra day off to train or recover and things perhaps so yeah that's my thought on it i mean second hand is obviously a great option as well second hand market is good for buyers at the moment also good for sellers so that's something to consider but yeah generally i'd say buy the the model down you're looking at like let's say you're looking at full suspension bike you still want to get a carbon front and back end like aluminium back end isn't isn't too great um and then once you've got that you're that's kind of like a really good start point and then you can look to say buy the bike you want and build it from there because off the shelf you'll probably want to make changes like bars obviously bars you can cut down but if they're too narrow you have to buy new ones to go wider you want to get shorter cranks you can't just cut those down uh different gearing etc so yeah that is my answer to that so thank you very much for that question keep those questions coming in um we'll answer them each week so it's really appreciated i've actually added uh, a little section in the bottom of the podcast so you can actually type it directly in there or just send me a message on instagram they're completely anonymous unless you really want to be shouted out so yeah drop me a question um anyway speaking of price of bikes and things that brings us nicely on to this week's guest who is Leos Bikes. So they are a bike brand based in the south of England. Um, they do carbon bikes, um, custom carbon bikes, in fact. So yeah, they do a lot of road bikes, but have also over the last say, three years or so, started doing mountain bikes as well, from XC to Enduro. Um, yeah, they offer some great bikes, and the owner and founder Steve has an amazing story behind starting the company. Um, and we talk a bit about where it came from where it's going in the future as well, some exciting stuff on the horizon. So yeah, it was just really great to chat to Steve. Although there is some sad news, um, a few days after we recorded the episode, Leos was actually burgled. Um, and it's not the first time it's happened. It's um, quite common, sadly, in the UK, um, bike shops and brands getting robbed. 
So if you can keep out online, it'd be really appreciated. There's links to their um, Instagram and stuff in the show notes. So give them a follow anyway. But if you can also share the posts of the bikes that were stolen, they are because the brand is um, not as big as a um, Trek or Specialized, etc. They will be very obvious on any uh, secondhand sales sites such as eBay, Facebook, Gumtree, etc. So if you can keep them out, that'd be great. Um, but without further ado, and on a more positive note, let's get stuck into the show, have a chat with Steve and hear all about the US bikes. Good evening, Steve. How are you doing? Welcome to the A-Line podcast. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, do you want to introduce yourself to listeners, like who you are and why you're here? Um, yeah, sure. My name's Steve McCulley. I'm the founder and owner of Leos Bikes. Uh, it's my own bike brand. We've been going uh, just over 10 years now. Uh, so, yeah, made it past the kind of three-year point, which I think most businesses apparently don't. So I'm kind of chuffed with that. Um and now we do we do kind of road triathlon mountain bike um, in both carbon and we launched titanium last year as well. Uh, we offer three D motion analysis bike fittings, um, but essentially we you know, we have off the peg builds, but we like to customize as much as possible so our 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 customer base gets you know exactly what they want. Yeah, definitely. No, that's really good. Um, before we dive in, we'll do what we do with everyone, which is the virtual coffee stop, because you can tell a lot by person from what they order at a coffee stop. So say we're out for a mountain bike ride and we've been out for a few hours and we're stopping to get a brew and a snack. Like, what's your go-to order? I'd have I'd either be a flat white or a latte with a, uh, got to have a bit of cake. Yeah. Um, and it's it depends. <laughs> if I need the sugar, I'd probably go for some kind of millionaire shortbread. Oh, Otherwise, man. nice classic carrot cake. Oh, that's two strong choices, that is. And am I right in thinking that um, Leos has got like a decent coffee set up in store as well? Yeah, we do. We do <laughs> like our, our coffee. My my chief mechanic, my chief wrench, Alex, he's a bit of a, I call him Mr. Barista. He, he, he can <laughs> do all the coffee art. Um, so he really knows what he's doing. I just kind of, I can make a coffee, but I can't do the art. <laughs> uh, yeah no we we do like our coffee so we um in fact we, we've we had a custom coffee and beer bench it's about three meters long and it's got our beer fridge in it and our coffee and a grinder and everything and we took the whole it weighs about it's a six-man lift and we took it Whoa. to the Mulvans this weekend <laughs> amazing wow yeah that's definitely worth checking out if nothing else if you don't go for the bikes go for the coffee and beers to see yeah something yeah <laughs> yeah they, yeah you're right it's funny enough yeah most people kind of the first thing they noticed is the rocket coffee machine <laughs> amazing well we've got our, our virtual beverages sorted um and we'll, we'll get stuck into things so winding things back like how how did bikes come about and how did um Lyos come in or leo um so yeah i guess uh whistle stop tour i i'm well i'm 45 now 46 in november uh but the the brain says i'm in my 20s but the body definitely says i'm in my 80s i think but uh so yeah back when i was kind of a 12 13 i started racing mountain bikes in the early days early early to late 80s early 90s when it was literally mountain they were just mountain bikes were just coming on the scene and um yeah down in devon and we didn't uh, early bikes yeah i didn't have my parents couldn't afford a mountain bike so i remember my, one of the we used to go to the dump and me and my dad we'd we kind of pick up the broken bikes uh 
put them, uh, fix them up and then sell them and split the profits. That's how I kind of got into bikes. And my first mountain bike was actually a road bike that we got from the dump. We stripped it down and put kind of flat handlebars on and as knobbly tires as we could get on a 700C wheel with kind of spacings for road tires. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't look very clever, but it was pretty rapid because of the gearing. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, so I, I kind of raced youth and junior at a national level cross country and then switched to kind of downhill because after that adrenaline rush. Um, and then I guess my last race as a junior was the national champs at Bed Gallet in 94, I think it was. And unfortunately I split my, I fell off and split my knee. I finished the run, but I split my kneecap on that, that oh. run. Uh, and then, and then interestingly, I guess my, my kind of life or career took a very different course. I was destined, I was doing my A-levels, mass physics, technology, and for my A-level technology projects, I'd actually built an electric bike. Um, so I'd like to think I was well ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I kind of like put forward to young inventor of the year and all that kind of malarkey. And I, I was actually destined to do a master's in mechanical engineering at uni. But a friend of mine joined the Marines. Uh, he, was, he was a bit older than me and I went to his passing out parade and I thought, God, this looks pretty cool. This could be a bit of bit of me because I was into my outdoor activities, Duke of Edinburgh, 10 tours and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I was into all my sports and so on. And so I went to the careers office and said, look, you know, I'm interested in this, you know, in the Marines. And at the time I just passed my driving test. And so it was all about getting a decent car. And I just thought, oh, surely if you join as an officer, you get more money. And that was the only, my only rationale for going to the careers office and saying, I want to be an officer in the Royal Marines. <laughs> I just thought they get paid more. I didn't really appreciate the kind of, the, it was a completely different job to what, you know, the lads do. And the careers officer said, well, you know, go off to university and then come back and, you know, think about it then. I was like, well, I can join now, can't I? You know, your literature says that you don't need a degree. You just need A-levels and GCSEs. And he went, yeah, but you won't get in without a degree. And, and I kind of was like, well, all right, let me try. And if I don't get in, I might come back. And yeah. As it happens, I you know, somehow managed to get a commission straight from my A-levels. So I joined up, um, I was commissioned straight away from A-levels from school. And and so my, yeah, I, I kind of first six years was just focused on kind of cutting around the world and enjoying life, doing all sorts of stuff. It was a busy, busy period, late, late nineties, early noughties. And then I got back into mountain, I realized you could actually mountain bike within the military. And there yeah. was a Marines team and a Navy team and you compete against the other services. And again, you compete nationally as well. And, and so I, I got back into it. Um, so, and uh, I was, all the bikes I'd race on, I'd kind of build myself. And I always had this thing in the back of my head, you know, could, is there something I could do in the, in the cycling industry? But I, you know, I had a full career and I, that was it really. It was, I guess it was a bit of a pipe dream. Hmm. I'm forward to 2011. I'm on my second tour to Afghanistan. And I was uh, blown up by an IED, uh, put me in a coma for three weeks, hospital for three months and rehab for nearly three years. Um, and during that rehab process, you know, I was told I knew I'd be medically discharged at some point. So from a very early uh, point in that, that rehab journey, I, I started thinking about what I was going to do when I was medically discharged. And I, I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to kind of control my own diary. I didn't want to wear a suit. I didn't want to commute. And so I thought, well, I've got to set up my own business. And if it's got any chance of succeeding, it needs to be something you're passionate about. And I couldn't compete in the, uh, obviously in the cycling world or mountain biking world anymore. But yeah. I thought maybe I could kind of set up a business within it. And that's, yeah. So whilst I was in rehab, the idea for 
for Leos, um, kind of, I, I developed that idea. So as I was medically discharged, the, the business was kind of going. Wow. That's, that's it. That's incredible, isn't it? Like it's, um, it's not your usual route to set up a bike company. I don't suppose, yeah. but, um, no, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's great to know you're in, you're in one piece because it's very um, scary experience, I imagine as well. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I was luck, unlucky, but lucky the way mm. I look at it. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was kind of, I served for nearly 18 years and it was kind of during a very, you know, from the 97 on, it was very busy. I kind of, you know, did Northern Ireland, uh, Kosovo, the Balkans, Iraq, Sierra Leone, Afghanistan, a couple of times, you know, and so it was a, a pretty manic period, but great. Don't get me wrong. You know, that's yeah. kind of, you know, one of the reasons you join is to be busy and to be, you know, doing the thing you're trained to do. And a lot of people don't get to do it. So, um, despite, all the nasty stuff and obviously getting injured myself it was you know i, I had a, i had a, had a really enjoyable career yeah no that's 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 great um and and thanks to people that listen so i know we've got some service men and women that listen so yeah thanks to them yeah, and, yeah. and you um so i guess a question out of that is like why go down the your own bike company route? because a lot of people say set up a shop and like sell whatever you know specialized don't they or santa cruz and are like more of a, a dealership which you do as well but what what fueled the passion for um your side of the business yeah that's good great actually you know what i've never been asked that question and i suppose the first thing that springs to mind is i, I didn't i now i think back i didn't even consider opening a shop yeah interestingly i, I and I, like i say i've never been asked that question <laughs> it, it never came into my mind or oh, do open a bike shop it was yeah. always, I'm going to set up my own brand. And I, you know what? I couldn't tell you why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very much, I think it was all down to the fact that I guess, because I was, I, you know, you, and loads of, we all do it where you kind of, you get your frame, you get your components and you build your own bikes up that you ride or race on. And I, because I was always doing that. And I always used to think to myself, oh, could I, could I actually make a business out of this? Could I, you know, I, I don't mean it arrogantly. I just think, well, could I do something for better value for money than what just going out there and buying it? And um, I suppose that's why I always thought, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it myself. And interestingly, you know, actually, the, f the first thing I realised as soon as I was doing my research is that there was no way I could offer um, bikes. I don't want to say cheaper, but for less price than the big name brands because I was just starting out, and you know, very small order quantities, so you don't get the margins, and so. It, what it made me realize I had to go down, you know, a, a kind of a different route off for that customization. And yeah. so I very much specialized in bike fitting. I did all the courses. I went to America and did work experience with a chap called the bike fit guru who'd been in the business for 25 years doing bike fitting wow. well before it kind of became trendy. Yeah. And, and so I, I very much, um, yeah, I kind of went down the bespoke route and it's only as time has gone on that I've kind of branched out and now we do off the off the peg stuff as well. But uh, early on, it was very much, I'd turn up with all my kit. I'd go up to London or somebody's house or wherever, set up, measure them up, measure them in their office or in the gym in their building in the bank or wherever. Yeah. And so I was, I was constantly on the road, traveling around, trying to grow my grow awareness and, and my customer base through through that type of pop-up shops in you know kind of big law firms and banks and that in the canary wharf and so on oh wow that, that, yeah that's really good i guess so is, is that more road focused the customization because if you customize a mountain bike you start changing things like progressiveness of the suspension or something you know? yeah so, so, so early on the, the first my first bike i ever did was a was a hardtail mountain bike and i've still got it it weighs like 
nothing. It's like just under eight kilos. Wow. And, but it was like, it needed to be super expensive. And at the time there was no high end mountain bike market, but we were just coming out the back of the Olympics 2012 and it was all about road and triathlon. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, I didn't even kind of market the mountain bike at all. And I just focused, I had one road bike and one tri bike, the bullet and the javelin. Yeah. And that was my main focus. So it was all about those two bikes. And it's only been in the last, uh, three and a bit years that I've really kind of tried to push back into the mountain bike market. Mm-hmm. Um, just because over that period, over the last five, six years, the high end mountain bike market, well, I say, yeah. So the, the price range has gone kind of almost, well, too high, but it's, yeah. it's, you know, that market was there. Although I do think we've actually, we're in a downturn at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, it's like COVID had a knock on effect, like the, the demand outweighed the supply, didn't it? Which spikes everything. And then like Tom winning the Olympics and Evie smashing world champs and stuff that accelerated things further. And now we've come out the other side and people have got to the point where they're like, no, I'm not paying that much for a bike or those, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. I think everybody's calling it an industry. I think the industry at the moment's in its worst place for 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's what the kind of, when you, you, you talk to the, the Bicycle Association and all the people that kind of take all, you know, got all the data and that. Yeah. Um, I think... The mid to high end markets, the, the the least affected of all the sectors, but it's every sector is affected. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the economic climate at the moment with everything going on, mortgage, you know, interest rates, mortgages, energy, cost of living, war, blah, blah, blah. Is People are being very cautious, understandably, with their money. And then you throw in what the, you know, the whiplash effect from COVID mm-hmm. where everyone bought a bike. So now people are like, well, money's tight. I'm not buying a bike. Or I'm not upgrading. I'm not doing this. Yeah. And it's that kind of perfect storm. So the industry is in a, yeah, it's, it's not in a good state at the moment, kind of generally. I think, you know, we're, we're okay because we're able, because we're small, we can, we can adapt quite quickly. Yeah. I don't, you know, we have, we have a decent amount of stock, but at the same time, we're not like more large where you've got 35 million quid worth of stock and yeah. things can go very wrong very quickly with cash flow. Definitely. No, yeah, yeah, completely. It's all about agility, isn't it? At times like this, um, yeah, precisely. But no, it's good, and it offers customers not not better value, but options, which is nice um, for people that are like tight on cash and don't want to say go down the specialized route and or whatever it is, trek. That well, that's it. Whereas you know, as I said early on, I couldn't I couldn't just compete on price alone, and I didn't try to. Whereas now, we we can compete on price alone, let alone you know the, the service and the offering, the customization and the exclusivity you get with when you when you buy a Leos. You know, yeah. Every single one of our road and tri bikes comes with a three D motion analysis bike fit included in the price. And our price mm-hmm. point, we're generally, you know, you look at a high end, you know, if you put SRAM Red E Tap on one of our road bikes, it's about six thousand seven hundred ninety five quid. Where you're paying twelve twelve odd grand for that, for, you know, specialized Cervelo and so on, yeah. and and the our bike is fitted to you, you know, the cranks fitted to your leg length, the handlebars are the width based on your shoulders, the, yeah. the stem length, every, everything is is fitted to your flexibility, your biomechanics, and specifically what your goals and aims are. Because, you know, if you're going to be doing um, crits, then yes, you can hold an aggressive position for a short period of time if you're not very flexible. But if you're going to be doing long distance stuff, then actually the bike, the bike fit and the position needs to be very different if you've got tight. Yeah glutes hamstrings and and so on definitely so with then focusing on the on the mountain bike side of things it's come about more in the last three years as you said what um what's drove the design 
because like the Raptor is the XC bike that most listeners will be interested yeah. in. Like, why have you gone with that design over, say, some of the more common things like the Scott Spark has, like the DW Link and stuff? What's driven your path down that route? I suppose, you know, if I'm being brutally honest, it's it's what I made. You know, I, I'm I'm very upfront up with people. I'm not starting on a drawing board and creating something new. You know, you need millions of kind of dollars yeah. in, in R&D and research to be able to do that kind of stuff. And I'm still in the position where the big brands were many years ago where I'm I'm paying to use proven technology molds and so on and, and adapting and tweaking them. So a lot of the time, my the models that I that I choose, it's about to, I choose something that I think is a aesthetically pleasing because at the end of the day, that's the first thing that catches people's eye. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, and then clearly it needs to ride well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, and it's very much a kind of a process of me speaking to, and I've been with the same factory actually for the whole time now, the Frame Factory. Okay. Is, is looking at their inventory of what they've got available and what can be done at a what price point. Um, and so, and then it's a case of trying, it's just a case of trying it out. And, you know, I've been lucky over the years. I've had a few, you know, early on, a couple of good Marine mates who represented Leos, you know, high caliber kind of athletes yeah. in multidisciplined. And so they could give good feedback. And now in the mountain bike area, certainly kind of drawing a pot, you know, the, the younger, the younger generation now, the stuff they're doing is, is absolutely kind of incredible um yeah because the bikes have come on so much over the last five six years what they're able to take yeah um it's it's about drawing on their um feedback um, when they're doing these crazy jumps and <laughs> flips and you know and the bikes need to be bloody strong now you know we offer a lifetime warranty on the frame so you've got to be you've got to be sure that it's going to work yeah definitely i mean for a cross-country bike in particular it's quite obviously like enduro and like the well, what's it called that you sell the enduro bike? I've forgotten now. Thunderbolt, uh, yeah, that's it. Thunderbolt. That's sort of you can sort of accept the weight penalty a bit more easily. It's not. It's a selling point that people consider. But it's not the with cross country. It's very much a weight weenie world, isn't it? Still, I, I, absolutely, yeah. And that's so. Yeah, that's obviously yeah one of the criteria as well. Is just making sure that it's going to be a nice light bike. Um, yeah. And so yeah, interestingly, our, heart, our Hellfire Hardtail. That's probably one of that's actually our most popular mountain bike okay. across the range. Yeah. Um, Again, I think a lot of it is because we can get the weight right down to, you know, eight kilos. You know, we can sell an eight kilo Hellfire with XTR for five grand. Yeah. Um, wow. Which is serious bang for buck. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are your thoughts on hardtails? Because aside from selling them and like the co- the value, because we've seen two big brands, our Trek and Specialized, gone with this weird, no, it's not a soft tail, but not a soft tail. And like, so it's almost like, do you think soon they'll be obsolete hardtails and they'll just, yeah. I- I guess because again, because the cross country, yeah, courses as you know, they have become so hardcore. Mm. Uh, you know, when I when I was when I was racing, um, you know, hardtail would be absolutely fine. Now yeah. your back could just work. You can't last. You you know you don't get the grip. You can't keep the speed up and so on. And you can't keep pace with the other. So I I don't think no I don't think they'll be obsolete. But I I certainly think because of the way the the courses are changing and how technical in hard they're getting yeah the bikes the cross-country race bikes are adapting to the, the courses rather than the court yeah well, i suppose it's kind of hand in hand as the bikes become more able then the courses become more technical yeah 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 i guess yeah you're right they won't become obsolete but they'll be more of a, a training bike perhaps or a um, one for very smooth courses like the um what's it yes. called? The short cross-country races xe yeah. the eliminators things like that exactly and i think that's it you know in an ideal world you'd have you, you rock up with both and when you do your, your recce you're like okay 
which which one am I going to use type thing in an ideal world not everyone can have two race bikes and so on yeah then it comes down to money like we said a few times already so (laughs) but that's really good and you've you've mentioned some really good benefits of why people should consider coming to Leos rather than say buying a canyon or something like that the the benefits are quite obvious Are are there any others that you may people might want to consider yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I suppose that, that key thing is, like I say, we have kind of what I'd call off-the-peg builds or, or specs ready to go. But if someone says, well, actually, can I change the handlebars or can I can I change the wheels or can I... Because we're we're able to do that, we can customise at that kind of, that that level. It's yeah. very much a, a kind of a, a one-to-one process, is essentially, between, you know, customer and Leos because yeah. we can, you know, when we're not selling thousands of bikes, so we can be very, you know, have that personal touch. I think that's the key yeah. bit. And so, you know, you can pick up the phone and you can actually, you know, personally speak to me if needs be and, and chat through whatever it may be that you're thinking. Yeah. No, yeah. Customer support is a, is a big deal these days. And then just flexibility and agility, as we said earlier, that's really good. Yeah. Um, but th- so, no, it's really interesting hearing how the company has evolved to where it's gotten now. What's, what's the plan for next year future years any anything exciting coming along yeah i guess yeah a few things really um we are so at the moment we're just we that the gra- gravel is still getting a lot of people interested in kind of you know long days in the saddle adventure racing or multi-day stuff yeah um and so we're getting a, a lot of people interested in our titanium gravel bike okay um which is pretty cool. But then at the same time, our roadies are asking for a carbon gravel bike. So yeah, we're going to be um, launching autumn, winter, a carbon gravel bike, fully internally rooted gravel bike, nice and and clean lines, very aesthetic. Um, And, and then also we're working on, we're actually working on one of the, I guess one of the only sectors that is still kind of, I'm not going to say it's, I don't know the precise data, but that is, is strong is obviously the electric electric yeah. mountain bike market and so on. So we are working on a on an EMTB. Oh wow, that's really exciting! Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. So that's pretty that's pretty cool. And then um, yeah, likewise in the new year we're going to bring out a new aero road bike. Um, nice, a, a, a new version of the Exactor, yeah. essentially. Oh, amazing! Um, well, lots of exciting times then. Yeah, it's, 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 that's the bit I enjoy is, is kind of doing the new stuff. The problem is, you know, you need the money to be able to do the new stuff. So you've got to, <laughs> it's that kind of chicken and yeah. egg thing. It's really hard, you know, and you, but you've got to kind of, uh, what is nice, you know, I don't do any of this crazy changing stuff every year because A, I can't afford to, and B, I just don't think it's worth it. You don't need right. to. Uh, we kind of change things when we need to change things. And, you know, our aero road bike is, is amazing. It's super stiff, rapid. We've had it in the wind tunnel. Um, but, everyone wants internally rooted cabling and yeah. so essentially that's that's the change for the next generation of the, our exactor that's good it's like meaningful change rather than just changing a head angle by half a degree or something it's like proper yeah yeah exactly there is there is no need you know we're super happy with you know we get really good feedback with the kind of performance of our aero road bike and so literally yeah. the only negative negative feedback is we want the cables internally rooted. And again, that's all, all to do with looks. Because as you know, it suddenly makes kind of working on a bike or even, you know, if you were, if you need to do whatever, the cables are going through the headset. So you've got to, you know, you've got to detach the cables and all yeah. sorts of work needs to be done to it or so on. So that's, it's not, that not a lot harder to build, a lot harder to service and deal with, yeah. but 
they yeah they look cool yeah definitely i'd be more things to go electronic at least so that's one less skill to worry about <laughs> Yeah, very true. Yeah, we, that's why we do like working with SRAM because, uh, yeah, you just bolt on the derailleurs. It's, uh, yeah, it does make life Definitely. a lot easier. And I guess just finally, um, you're based in the south of the UK, aren't you? So obviously there's that, that like, uh, human contact you were saying, but if someone in, say, Scotland is considering getting a Leos bike, is there, what's the benefits for them, sort of? Yeah, so do we do. I mean, we sell nationally. In fact, we sell internationally. We sell bikes all okay. over the place. So, yeah, I guess if it's a, if it's a road bike, that is a bit trickier because of the whole bike fit bit. So what, mm -hmm. what we tend to do, so if I, I will send them a, a diagram and a chart and ask for a load of measurements and instructions of what body parts we want measured yeah. and an idea of their flexibility. And there's a few questions that they, they kind of answer. And that enables us to um, determine the frame size, the right frame for the person, the key crank length and so on, shoulder uh, handlebar width. Yeah. So we can, we can build the bike. So it's, it's almost kind of there. Yeah. Um, but then ideally they want to, when they come to collect it, they have their bike fit and we fine tune the position. Yeah. Um, some people have just said, yeah, you know what, just, just send it to me. I'll fine tune it myself where I am because I'm five hours away. Other yeah. people, they like the whole idea of, you know, kind of coming down, yeah. seeing how set up doing the, you know, doing the bike fit, collecting the bike and that whole kind of, and that's nice. And we put a, you know, a face to a name and so on. For mountain bikes, it's obviously different because we can box it up and ship it. And, you know, the, the bike fit is not as, is not needed for mountain bikes, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. How come? I just, I, I'm not saying they're not, I just, I don't think you can, you don't get the gains that you get from a road or a try. Okay. Uh, it. oh like aerodynamically and things or well no no not so aerodynamically no i just i just think because you're in and out of the saddle so much you're very much it's 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 as long as the, it's the right frame size that the, the the saddle height bit i suppose if you were if yes if you were a beginner it would be very it's it would be helpful but the the process is you know, there is only so much i think you need to do because you it's a very different, you know, if you're on a road bike, you're sat on it, you're sat in a position, your bum is fixed and that's it. So it's, yeah. it's pretty crucial where yeah. everything is set up. With a mountain bike, you're, like I say, you're, you're in and out of the saddle, you're um, all over, you know, all over the top of the bike. And there is, the key bit is getting the right frame size and having the right saddle height. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I, just, I suppose what is, it's a, um, I think it's just a personal, you know, I have, I do do mountain bike fits, but I generally kind of will just, I won't, I generally would just have a look at them and tweak it and don't charge. I probably shouldn't yeah. say that really. Just because <laughs> I just think it's not, it doesn't need to be as in depth. And I don't, you know, I don't like to kind of charge people a lot of money when it doesn't need to be quite as in depth in my opinion. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense to be fair. It's, it's almost like you need to feel it out more perhaps because it's so dynamic and like if your hands are going numb riding it's, you need to change your bar width or, yeah. or something it's, it's things like that i guess isn't it which is more critical for the mountain bike as long as you're sat roughly at the right height like you say and not yes. doing something stupid then you're about there so yeah exactly yeah no that makes sense no that's cool well that um that wraps up like the main part of our interview quite nicely we'll we'll roll into like the questions we ask everyone like the fun part as it were okay. so first first up we have hits and shits so 
a hit is one thing like you really like about the cycling industry or the race scene, whatever it may be. And then a shit is obviously the opposite. So something you'd like to see a bit less of. You can be you can be really funny. You can be political, like just off your head in any order. Like it doesn't matter. You can have more than one if more come to mind. Oh, okay. Hit. I'm gonna go hit first. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. I just I think it's uh oh, it's just a tough one. <laughs> you got me now. <laughs> I don't want to be a bit cheesy or corny, yeah, you know, but it's about at the end of the day getting getting people on bikes, whatever discipline it may be. It's it it's good for your health and well being. Yeah, whether, whether you're going for a gentle cycle with your family down the down to the beach or the local pub, or whether you're going out on a Sunday group ride, or whether you're racing at a regional or national level no matter what it's just good for your overall health and well-being i just yeah. kind of and there's there's going to be no it's all that's always going to be the case so i just i kind of i just um yeah and i, I it does i think covid got a lot of people out on the bikes which is great and i think we we're all saying oh you know is it going to stay like this probably not but yeah. i'd like to think that there's a lot of people that got on a bike that wouldn't have got on a bike and have got the got the bug it's just unfortunate in the current economic climate that it's um it's tough for the industry but i think generally there are more people cycling which is a good thing yes yeah, there you go bikes are a hit yeah there you go <laughs> it's like bikes yeah, as a whole yeah. cycling is a hit across all this yeah no, that's good what about shit shit is what's shit i suppose it's not it, uh, it's, it's probably not the industry itself. It's just about, and this is a personal thing. It's a, for me, brand awareness, trying to get, trying to kind of get your brand out there is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, you know, our, our customers, all of them are super chuffed with their bikes, really good feedback. Once people hear about us and I'm able to explain the value for money, what, what they're getting and what we offer, it's, it's a, I'm not going to say it's an easy sale, but people can see the benefits. Mm-hmm. But getting, you know, it's been 10 years. They've been going 10 years now. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is an industry thing. I just, it's just the awareness piece. It's probably more to do with social media and having to pay so much to kind of boost it. It's and the algorithm, then, isn't it? Fighting. Yeah. And I guess I've gone off really. That's not, a, that's not, a, that's not a cycling industry shit. That's just, or maybe it, it's just, yeah, I guess trying to, trying to, compete with the big name brands is even though when you think you're you're kind of offering something that's much better value it's yeah uh, i mean i'd agree with that because even like i know a lot of athletes complain because they've just let's say they win a world cup race but they've got a poor social media account and none of the sponsors care perhaps um and vice versa you may have great google reviews and have a great product there but if because you haven't got a big budget like specialized or whoever to pump it on out instagram it's like just goes missing and it's lost in the ether yeah no exactly um so that's yeah it's just yeah it's 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 it's, yeah it's hard hard graft i think there's something i've been told a few times you know they say if you want to kind of if you want to make a million pound in the cycling industry you've got to start with two million (laughs) i like that that's quite funny that's good yeah nice Um, um any others or do you want to wrap it up with those two uh, it's probably loads, isn't it? I feel I feel a bit been a bit. I've been a bit shit myself with uh, trying to come up with anything. Um, I think the uh, 
the electric, electric bike thing, initially I was a little bit against it. I was like, oh God, you know, it's people just being lazy. But no, yeah. I think I think that's a hit because it, again, it's getting more people on bikes and it's getting it's getting couples out. It might be that you know your kind of your, your partner didn't really want to cycle because they, they they couldn't keep up or it was too difficult or what for whatever reason. But now you know you, you see a lot of people on a on a normal bike and an electric bike. More people are able to cycle a mountain bike together, and yeah. more people are able to do it later on into their life as you get older. Um, still and you're still getting your exercise exactly. uh, it just means you can go further harder in a shorter space of time exactly. so as much as i initially thought it was lazy i do think the e-bike is a hit nice yeah i'd agree with that totally I'd, yeah definitely agree it's um they're a great tool aren't they they're not a substitute they're just another it's like a knife a fork and a spoon isn't it <laughs> yeah all got their place yeah, precisely yeah it just means it's yet another bike to try and add to the quiver, which then makes, and you know, that and they are expensive, but I totally understand why because of you know what you, you know, the extra kit you need. Yeah, the technology. Like if God, look at a smartphone nowadays, it's like nine hundred pounds, aren't they, or something crazy compared yeah, yeah. to your old Nokia thirty three ten or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. We'll end on a higher wrap-up hits and shits with a hit of e-bikes. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of cross-country riders will start getting them because they'll realise the value of being able to train like their technical skills without fatiguing their legs. Um, yes. So, yeah, I think gradually everyone will come around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's really good. Um, next question. We normally ask everyone what their best training session is. Um, so not sure how much you're like still racing and things. So you just riding for fun. Like if you are, like what's your favorite type of ride to do? Perhaps? Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I've, I've got back into, I've tried to get back into mountain bike racing. I mean, I've kind of, going down the enduro racing bit route nice. um but then realized that i'm kind of too old to keep i, I keep thinking i should be quicker than i am but then i realized <laughs> it's well i need to go riding every day which i don't have the time to you know uh, i try to get on the mountain bike once a week and yeah. then do all my kind of training on the road which yeah. is good for cv but no good for technical ability <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so i guess uh my favorite we do we actually do a we do a couple of leos ride outs and yeah. on a wednesday we at the end of the day at five o'clock we all gather at, at, at the unit and it's uh we do a 20 mile kind of loop the leos loop mm-hmm. and we we split down into groups and it's a kind of a it's, it's not a beasting but it's a decent pace and it's a nice yeah. you know you, you kind of you, you crack it in under hour we stop and have a pint and kind of ruin all the work we've just done by putting on the calories in beer but no that that's probably that's my favorite session because it's a good we get a good turnout it's 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 a good you know get the heart rate up you get the legs pumped yeah and then have a quick beer at the end and a bit of a chat a social so yeah that that's my favorite session nice yeah social sessions are often king aren't they yeah yeah that's good i like it um next one can you finish the sentence if i if i wasn't like running leos i'd be dot 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 Ooh. If I wasn't running Leos, I'd yeah, I'd probably be, be I'd probably be doing the thing I didn't want to do. <laughs> Commuting, <laughs> sitting on a train and doing some kind of job in the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, we normally ask like the the racers like if they weren't racing, what would they be doing? That's yeah. but like yeah, so they often say something like, there's no secret hobbies you've got other than Leos, though. Like, you're not a 
IGN, I suppose, you know, I, I, well, what, I would, what, I, what I'd like to, I'd like to continue. I was very, I was very fortunate. So between, uh, for six years, I got, I got into car racing. So from oh, yeah. 2014 to 2019. Um, so I did four years of catering racing and then two years of British GT. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is an incredible opportunity because, you know, the kind of money needed to do it and I was sponsored and that was an incredible, yeah, if, if I could do anything, that would be it. But I know that I had a, I got a, an opportunity which I grasped with both hands and I managed to kind of keep doing it for six years. Um, but yeah. I know the reality to kind of, to do that as a living in your forties is, is kind of untenable, but yeah, I guess if, if, if money was no object, then that is what I absolutely would be doing. Nice. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Still involved in going quick. So that's, that's always good as well. Yeah. And what, what I found was I could kind of, I, I was quite in a, I kind of had a fairly decent podium. I, it was, it was something where it was, it was actually physically arduous, but because yeah. well, my injuries, I've had my right lung removed. So I, oh, yeah. my capacity is, is kind of significantly reduced from before, from oh, since after my injury or before yeah. my injury. And, um, but with the car racing, I found that I could be competitive despite the physical issues I had yeah. uh, and still podium and you still get the adrenaline rush and so on. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Well, wow. yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's, yeah, it's impressive that you still like ride and things with one lung. That's, um, that's really impressive. Yeah, it's just hard work. I just have to keep reminding, you know, when, when I'm, I'm kind of very rarely on the front, I'm always kind of getting the toe and I have yeah. to remind them, well, you remember, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I'm about two and a half liters down in capacity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, fair play. That's um, definitely kudos for going out the group first. Um, no, that's really good. Uh, the next question is: This is an interesting one for you. What would you think the best value upgrade is? I mean, we can it can be it can be a physical component. It can be a, a service like a senior nutritionist or something. It can be yeah, it can be a collective. It doesn't have to just be a part like a set of tires or something. Well, I would I would say bike fit, but that's not a component. Is it? No, that's fine. You can say that. That's good. That's allowed. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be. Then a I suppose if we're talking, uh, hold on, but that, but then that's for road bike, not for mountain biking. Uh, yeah. We're talking about cross country mountain biking. Yeah. I I personally, um, I, electric gear is a game changer. Yeah, I'd agree with that definitely. Uh, so ele electric electric gears. Um, nice. And then if it was going to be the next one, it would be uh, your wheels kind of going to carbon wheels. Yeah. Yeah. What's it about electric gears that you think is such a game changer then? Um, I, I, I just, the, well, I just think that the shifting in, even in, you know, I've ridden in some pretty horrendous situations and they generally, I've, I've not had touch wood any issues um it's rapid shifting very minimal movement with your th you know cables yeah. do go wrong um and after a while it does you know if depending on what type of read i've done a couple of 24-hour races and 12-hour races stuff like that and you it sounds you know constantly pushing that gear lever yeah after a while it's a stress and strain in your right wrist your hand and so on or you've got a micro switch yeah. and what i found you know you you could use the gears more there'd be i with a cable gear, I probably wouldn't change gear as much as I do with electric gears because I know it's so easy. I'm yeah. constantly choosing different gears depending on the, the, the terrain or the, yeah. you know, the kind of ascent, descent. 
Whereas perhaps with a cable gear, I would just stick with, I wouldn't change gear as much because I just go, oh, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's much more, it's instant, isn't it? I guess that's the, that's the difference. So it gives you that flexibility to change and yeah. use the right gear when you want it. Yeah. That's a good one. We've not had that one yet. So that's a great shout. And there's no cables to route, like we said earlier too. So <laughs> everyone's Yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, next question is advice to listeners. Like one piece of advice you'd pass to the, the average cross country racer out there. Um. Yeah, if you're able to, you, you, you got to. Nowadays, I think, like I said earlier, the, the the courses have become so technical. The more the more training on the bike you're going to be racing on, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. I back in the day, I used to kind of do all my training on the road, so it's all about CV, yeah. and then I'd just get the mountain bike out to race. But that's because you could get away with it. The courses weren't as technical as they are nowadays. I think nowadays yeah. you really do need, you know high skill levels across the different types of terrain, whether it's single track, boulders, rock gardens, downhills, uphills, everything. And you can only get that from practicing on those terrains. So, yeah. uh, and it's tough if you don't live close to an area where you can do that. In a, and I don't, you've got to drive to actually go somewhere decent to get that training in. It is diff- It is difficult, but yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. I kind of, I think nowadays for mountain biking, the more training you can do on the type of terrain you're going to be racing on, the, the better you will do yes it's not just being able to do it it's being able to do it under extreme fatigue as well isn't it which is um, <laughs> the tricky part i guess yeah exactly definitely no that's a good one we've not had that one yet so that's a good shout um and then sort of the, the final question is what's the the one thing you would say or recommend that helps improve performance on the bike or just cycling experience like that, that you do say every day perhaps or on regularly stretching 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 okay nice yeah absolutely i cannot so i i didn't look after my body for the first 20 years of my career when i say from kind of you know 18 to to 38 yeah um you know i'd kind of do a token warm-up which wouldn't is or none at all go and thrash myself and a very token stretch afterwards none at all shower crack on kind of kind of got away with it and then when i hit 40 my body was like you know what we're now, you know, you're going to, you pay the price for it now and you all, all sorts of issues and ailments and you, you think it's your back or you think it's your hips or you think it's your pelvis. And actually it's none of those. It's just the fact that you're so tight, your muscle, your, your body's just going, you're, you're, you're too tight. And I see so many people and I, I think, you know, if you can, I, I now I'm trying to undo 20 years of abuse to my body. And I, so I stretch for 25, 30 minutes every morning now. Wow. Uh, but that's because I'm trying to undo, uh, yeah, like I say, a, yeah. lot, a lot of abuse, not just cycling and mountain biking, but being in the Marines. Yeah. Um, but I firmly believe, yeah, if you can remain flexible and supple, then you will go faster. And I always say to, you know, my customers my, or my bike fit clients or anyone that if, they, if they're wanting to kind of improve, then rather than increase their bike time or their run time with their triathletes or whatever, um, use that time initially and input stretching as as another discipline Mm -hmm. and it rather than doing one hour once a week or twice a week try and do 10 or 15 minutes every day much better to do little and often than rather than one or two long sessions yeah um you you won't get uh as much gain but yeah, yeah stretching 
Nice. No, that's a good one. Yeah, like I said, we've not had one yet. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people will start going to yoga and things now or even or just 10 minutes I mean, every day. Even that, yoga's great, but you don't need to – again, it's just a long session. And I've been through that yeah. process where you go to yoga and even if it's a beginner's class, it's too difficult. And if, you, and if you're starting from a point where, you know, you're kind of – you're like 10 inches away from your toes if you try to touch your toes, mm-hmm. any yoga class is going to be so difficult for, for, for you. And then you get off, you, you, you're off, you get off put it and you're like, I'm not doing it. And just all you need to do is get a foam roller and, and just kind of at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, a bit of foam rolling. And I do it in front of the TV. Yeah. <laughs> First thing in the morning, I get to kind of watch a program that I wouldn't normally have time to watch whilst I'm stretching. So the time goes quickly. And before you know it, you've, you've done, you've done it. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. No, that's a good one. I guess, yeah, even if people don't know what they're doing, there's loads of YouTube resources. Exactly. Just, yeah, there. just, just yeah, 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 just YouTube it or send us an email and I'll send you some links to stretching and phone rolling. There you go. Oh, there you go. I'll put the email down in the show notes. Yeah. But no, that, that is it. The only final question is, like, are there any shout-outs you want to give? Um, where can people follow you? Where's the best place to keep track of how you're getting on at Leos? Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, so, yeah, our website, uh, leosbikes.com. Yep. And yeah, all social media is literally at Leos Bikes, L-I-O-S Bikes. Um, yeah. Awesome. In that case, then, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you and great chatting bikes as always. Um, have a have a nice evening and see you soon. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the A-Line podcast. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram if you're not already. Subscribe in your podcast app of choice so you won't miss any episodes. Um, and yeah, share this episode. Tell your mates. Do all that good stuff to help the podcast keep growing. We're almost at 3,000 downloads, which is mad considering this was just like an idea I had in November last year and it's grown into something amazing. It's an awesome little community. We've had the social party ride which was epic so yeah thank you so much because without the podcast and without the listeners there wouldn't be much point with there so have a rad day thank you so much again for tuning in 